Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here with you as always on the Greatest Games Podcast. A chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. This is another super special episode. You know, we just came off of our 25th episode with a a gentleman that we worked with at the University of South Carolina, and we come into the 26th episode here with another one of those gentlemen that now is the strength coach at Xavier University, Matt Jennings. Welcome into the show. Laz Rose, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this. I appreciate it. Matt Jennings, we we talked about uh, Rick Duckett quotes on the last podcast and we're going to use one here. Matt Jennings, one of the all-time greats. No doubt. The all-time greats. <laughs> actually, actually, I've had a chance to run into Coach Duckett a few times. Uh, uh, Xavier, he was at Miami of Ohio. Uh, yes. I got to run yeah. into him. Um, Sheldon, you know, yeah, Sheldon Everett. Well, Sheldon was uh, um, at Missouri State this past year, ran into him a little bit. Um, so there's a couple guys we'll cross paths with from the South Carolina days. I haven't had a chance to run into Mike Boynton yet. I know he's uh, obviously at Oklahoma. We're actually playing Oklahoma this year in the – Big East, Big 12, not Oklahoma State. So that would be another South Carolina connection. But, um, yeah, it's fun to keep in touch with some of those guys on Instagram. You see what they're doing with their families and their jobs and uh, careers. So, uh, obviously, keeping in touch with you guys is special as well. You guys have been really good friends of mine, the coaching profession, that brotherhood. For you know, I've known you guys now going on, you know, 16 years. So this Ooh. has been a, a, great, uh, a great friendship for sure, man. Well, you said, yeah, your son's birthday is coming up. And then you had gotten the South Carolina job, right, uh, when your wife was basically nine months pregnant with uh, with your youngest son. Yeah, Jacob was born. I remember uh, I was traveling back and forth between Winston-Salem and Columbia, and I'd made the trip back um, that Sunday night and trained the guys on a Monday, and then I left again that Monday night to get back to Winston-Salem uh, in time to, to be there for the birth. Uh, so Jacob will be 16 tomorrow. So, But, yeah, that's uh, – Long way from sleeping on the uh, the manager's couch, uh, the oh. coach's couch with with, <laughs> with Matt Cradell, with, uh, Matt Cradell and, and Hot Robbie. I got I would get kicked out. Uh, I would be I would be in the coach's locker room until camp week, and then Mac and Robbie would take that, and I'd go into <laughs> I'd be in the players' lounge, and Shirar Humayun would be in the the other players' lounge. Uh, man, we had some good times in the uh, in the Frank McGuire, but uh, Shirar was great. You know, he would uh, he'd buy every new DVD that came out on a Tuesday. We had movie collections. <laughs> oh man, it was so yeah. But yeah, this is really inside information here. This is this is. Uh, yeah. But uh, Matt, why don't you take us through uh, your resume in sure. uh, in athletic world and how you got to where you are today? Uh, I mean, I think athletics is really all I know, Blas. Um, I grew up in, in North Carolina. Uh, my both my parents are educators. Uh, my mother was a kindergarten teacher. My dad was a high school. Uh, biology teacher, driver's ed teacher. Uh, he also was a football coach. So that's where I get my, my, my bloodline of coaching comes from, from my parents, my coaching, teaching, education, you know, background. But originally from North Carolina, uh, went to school at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, uh, was a member of the football team there, um, was a GA at the University of Tennessee um, during some pretty good years in 97 and 98. Uh, was an intern with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, in their strength program for a year and a half. And then uh, started my first full-time job in college athletics in the year 2000 at Wake Forest University. So spent four years at Wake Forest, uh, went three years at South Carolina with you guys. Um, that was 04 to 07. 
and then had a chance to, to be a head strength coach and start my own program from scratch and build a weight room and build a program at High Point University and did that for two years uh, up until 2009. And then I got a call uh, from Chris Mack at Xavier University to, to come to Xavier and, and landed a job there. And I've been to Xavier University since 2009. So I'm going on my uh, 11th year there. So it's the, the longest tenure I've ever been in a spot. So it's good to have a little bit of a, a roots and a foundation at a place and not you know, bounce around every three or four years trying to build a, a foundation or career. You know, your, your experience is so varied from football now to basketball. And I know you were doing some other sports too. Um, just yeah. struck by your, and you mentioned it uh, here early in the show about just your ability to be able to stay in touch with people. Um, talk about, and just, you know, again, our, our listener, listener base is high school coaches a lot, a lot of young college sure. coaches that are listening. So if you could tell our listeners about you, just your ability to stay in touch with people. And, and I know you, it's just, it's part of who you are. I know it's not a strategy to say, Oh, I'm going to stay in touch with so-and-so, but you know, sure. moving from football, moving up to, to where you are at Xavier, just, just talk about your journey and, and relationships that you've built along the way. Yeah. I, I'm exclusively a basketball strength coach now, but going up through the ranks, you know, it was, you know, a football-based curriculum. When I was a GA at Tennessee, I took care of a couple other teams and assisted with a couple other teams like baseball, basketball, you know, swim, cross-country, diving, that type thing. But at Wake Forest, you know, with Olympic sports, you know, we all worked football. Um, then I took care of our baseball program, our men's soccer program, women's soccer program, uh, eventually started our, our, with our, our men's basketball program the, the second year there. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's to answer your question, though, you know, Communication's easy. Um, I think verbal communication is really easy. Uh, I still have, I, I have embraced, you know, social media, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I'm a little bit different in the sense where I don't use that platform uh, like a lot of the young coaches do. Um, and I'm not objective in that. I know that a lot of coaches can use that as almost a resume builder. And I feel like in the last, you know, five years or so, there's been a lot of young coaches out there that I think their content has been excellent. I think that content has allowed them uh, to actually progress their career and actually achieve you know, higher level jobs because of the content they put out. But uh, my strategy has always been, Rose, is that uh, I've always tried to be a people person. Um, and all honestly, like I'm not the friendliest guy in the world either. I can be a little bit grumpy, a little bit salty. But uh, I know that the, the business of athletics is the business of relationships. And you have to have connectivity and connection with people. Um, I know that you can be the best coach and write the best programs or practice plan or but if you can't get your players to execute that or to understand, if you can't teach them and they can't learn, and that connectivity you know, allows that. So my strategy has always been just to be a people person. I always try to make notes of you know, who people are, like when their birthday may be. Uh, I've always been good about you know, writing handwritten notes. And I think there's a lot of things in my career that have been progressed or jobs that I've achieved. Um, and quite frankly, I don't think I get the job at Xavier if I don't write a couple different handwritten notes. Uh, to Chris Mack, to Pat Kelsey. Um, I think those you know, connections and those notes really uh, made a, a strong impression with those coaches and that allowed me to open the door and get a conversation started you know, for the head job here at Xavier. So my, my, my trick, my strategy in summation is to, uh, is to write notes. You know, go back to, you know, email's great, texting's fine, I get it. But if you can actually spend, you know, spend some time, you know, put pen to paper, put a stamp on it, uh, you may not want to lick the envelope anymore with COVID-19, but, you know, but, uh, but yeah, write a note, drop a note. And that, that goes a long way. It does for sure. In my book. Matt, take us through your role or what you see your role is. Obviously people sort of know the, the practical role that you perform as a strength coach, but kind of talk about your role to the program or to the programs you serve kind of more in the abstract sense. 
I mean, I think our role, you know, Blas, you and I, I think we connect a lot on an intellectual level, but, you know, I think if you're a stoic philosopher like Marcus Aurelius, your role is to be a human being. Um, I know that may be a little outside the box for some of our, our listeners maybe maybe thinking, but our first role is to be a human being. And I think that nowadays, and, you know, especially the, the landscape that we're having this discussion under with uh, a lot of the, the protests and, and then the, and the death of George Floyd, et cetera, I think if we can all just be human beings, that's, that's a great start. But I always... Uh, Reverting back to the conversation about my parents, I think my role is also to be a teacher, to be an educator. Uh, we have an intern program at Xavier that we work with our extra science department. I enjoy doing that immensely, uh, you know, coaching and teaching, you know, the, the younger folks that, that want to be a strength coach or want to be a coach of some sort. Um, I think in a, in a nutshell, though, you know, it's, it is about coaching. It is about that connectivity. And so it is. It's about being a good coach. And being a good coach means that you're organized. It means that you know how to plan. And it means to know that, you, know, you keep, you know, documentation and notes. Uh, it means that you're, you're continuing your education. Um, no one's stagnant. You know, the things that, that you may saw, you saw me, you know, things that you may have seen me do at South Carolina 16 years ago, uh, probably not necessarily the things that I do today. Um, so in 16 years, I've tried to evolve as a coach. And so that means, you know, continue education. It means reading. It means, you know, making more connections, going to conferences, uh, spending time with experts, you know, if I'm not the smartest guy in the room, which I'm not, you know, 100% of the time, I want to go find the smartest guy in the room, and I want to go have a conversation with them and try to pick their brain and try to, you know, have little tidbits of information that maybe can help my program. So um, I want to teach, I want to educate, and I want to make sure I do the same for myself, uh, not just for a student athlete. So I'm, I've always continued to learn, always continue to read. I'm actually sitting and looking at a stack of books sitting in front of me right now, diverse. It, it's not a strength coach. You know, it may be something that's, you know, it's fiction, nonfiction. I'm living a history, you know, book, et cetera, about a uh, Hall of Fame pro, you know, project I'm working on for a, a gentleman at Xavier. So try to be diversified. But I think, you know, the role is to be a strength coach and you want to be a really good strength coach. You have to know the art and science of coaching and strength and being a strength coach. So that means, you know, anatomy, physiology, human kinetics, it's, it's biomechanics. You have to be really good at those things. And then the, 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 the coaching aspect is being a people person. Um, the coaching aspect is being able to put out fires. You know, you guys know this as well, being a you know, coach, you know, you know, both of you guys are coaches the best laid plans, they go to waste sometimes. you got to think quick on your feet. You have to be able to make an adjustment because, you know, a kid shows up late or this kid may be sick or this kid may be hurt and your plans go to waste. You have to be able to adapt and be think, you know, you know quick thinkers, think on your feet, put out fires. I think the, uh, the ability to, you know, change direction quickly um, and, and act like you're not, you know, losing your mind, you keep your cool and, and you can persuade people to, to move in that same direction and be a good leader. I think that's another, you know, critical point of being a coach. You may have already answered this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, but I'm going to tee it up a little bit because you're right. You you were innovative 16 years ago. I remember walking in the weight room, seeing you do stuff that I'm like, wow, never, never heard of that. And, and you're probably right. Like you're probably not doing any of that stuff. It's probably even more innovative and cutting edge. But um, the question really is like, you've been at this for a long time, but you, you yeah. play college football right to a GA, right to the Bucks. What, what keeps your fire lit? as long as you've been in this because I mean, everybody knows I mean co- athletics is busy and uh, you've got yeah. a family um, oh, sure. college athletics is even busier you know so like how, how do you keep your fire lit what keeps you going yeah that's a great question I made some notes actually because I went back and I've, re- I've never really reflected on this until you guys asked me to do this so I made some notes today to answer the question you know competition um, I still love competition and I love preparing for competition so um, you know, as a, as a player in college and in high school, you know, this is going back to my, my freshman year at North Carolina was 1992. So that's pushing, you know, 28 years now that there's been 
some form of preparation or competition on the horizon. So um, being around young folks, you know, keeps you young. Uh, I think that, you know, keeps you on your toes. It, it does keep you, um, keep you busy. Uh, but I think I just love the competition, Rose. And that's a great question that, you know, when I look back and I made some notes that this, I'll be entering my 20th college basketball season this year. And I've been a part of over 600 basketball games, which relates to probably over 2,000 basketball practices. So you get to see that competition every day, whether it's in the weight room, whether it's on the basketball court. But um, I think the, the, to answer your question in a nutshell, it's just about competition for me. That's, that's really funny that you went back and made those notes, Matt. Uh, I, it happened so quickly at South Carolina the, when Coach Odom decided uh, to resign. Yep. We were at Arkansas, and the whole Arkansas trip was really odd. And when he resigned two days later, and when, we look, when I look back at the Arkansas trip, it was really odd. Like the things he said, the things that were going on, you know, and then you realize, oh, he was in the middle of negotiating, whatever. Yeah. And I remember he said to me, we're standing in the locker room before the game, and the players were out on the court. It was like me, maybe Coach Duckett, one of the managers. We kind of stand there, and he, and he looked at me, and he goes, Blas, he goes, how many of these games have you been a part of? Really? You know, because I was I was in my ninth season in college athletics at that point between yeah. Kentucky and South Carolina, and I kind of started to add it up, and I was like, "Wow, that's a lot." You know, it was just that's a lot of damn games in nine seasons. Yeah, I, I figured out it's I've got a three hundred eighty-one and two hundred twenty record, so that's <laughs> above above five hundred. So that's, that's good. Pretty good. And if, if you recall, I wasn't part of that last season with you guys. I left the year before because right. I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall. I saw that you know. The administration was was squeezing, and, and they were squeezing the the fact that we didn't have a lot of roster players from South Carolina, and and the school wasn't allowing special admits. There's a lot of that political administrative type side of things. But um, I saw a chance to move back close to home. I saw a chance to be a head strength coach. I saw a chance to start a program from scratch. And you know, my last year with you guys was the the 0607 year that you know was uh, one of two actual losing seasons I've ever been a part of. So that was one, and then I had one at High Point. So. I'm looking back. We were 14 and 16 that year, and we we're four and 12 in the in the conference. So, um, but yeah, that's uh, beside the point. You know, the the point is is that you know the friendships last, the memories last. You know, the players last. The it, it, all good memories. You know, it, it is. Even though we transition, we move on. You know, it, it's still you know no bad blood. It's all uh, you know water under the bridge, so to speak. And it's always good to reflect back on good times for sure. Talk about uh, some of the mentors you've had specifically. Some people who have specifically yeah. meant a lot in your in your journey here. That's a good point. Yeah, going back to you know, once again, I can't harp enough on on my parents. You know, uh, my brother. Uh, they've always been so supportive. Uh, I think as a, as a coach, um, I think you know coaches that have wives. You know, my wife Jill is is here in the house with me. Um, if you're a coach and you have a wife that's special like she is, you know, she pretty much allows me to do what I do. You know, she's she's been so supportive in the sense, you know, when we've relocated and moved and. You know, we've moved over 10 times in our marriage. We've been married, you know, going on 24 years this Christmas, and we've moved 10 times in that 24 years. So, hmm. you know, it takes a lot to get a pro, you know, professional career started in this world. And so we've bounced around, obviously, from, you know, um, when we got married, we were living in South Carolina, and then we bounced up to uh, uh, over to Tennessee. Then we went back to uh, North Carolina, then back to South Carolina, and then back up to North Carolina. And there was some transition time in between there with – me starting work and she's staying at home uh, with the kids, with the house, with the job. So 
uh, I think, you know, when you talk about inspiration and, and, and mentor, so to speak, because, you know, coach's wife isn't just somebody that's a homemaker either. There's somebody that you can, uh, you can ask, you know, questions of, you can, you know, get feedback. I, I was talking her today about some of the projects I'm working on at Xavier and, and read some things to her to get her feedback. So um, it's a good idea to bounce, you know, questions and ideas off her as well. But, you know, from a coaching standpoint, there's been a lot. Um, I've, I've been around a lot of good coaches. Um, going from, you know, Mac Brown at North Carolina to Tony Dungy at, at, at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to, you know, Phil Fulmer at, at Tennessee. And those are just football coaches. But uh, basketball coaches like Coach Prosser at Wake Forest, Coach Odom at South Carolina, those guys have all been – I've learned something from everybody. Um, and then you've got a couple coaches that I've been a part of, you know, Bart Lundy at High Point and Chris Mack at Xavier and now Travis Steele at Xavier. But uh, there's a lot of strength coaches too, and I, I lean on – uh, a lot of the, the history and roots of our sport, you know, of strength and conditioning. And there's one coach in particular, his name is Dan John. And I really encourage all those high school coaches or young coaches out there, if you don't know who Coach John is, you know, please look him up. So it's Dan, D-A-N, John, J-O-H-N. Uh, he's a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of resources. He has his own webpage, you know, writes tons of books, easy to connect with. If you send him an email, he will email you back. Um, if I call him in the morning, he will call me back or, or, or answer the phone. Like he's He's very great. So, Coach John has been a very instrumental, you know, mentor for me in my profession. And there's just a laundry list of other folks from either assistants that I've worked for, uh, that I've hired and, and moved on to other places. You know, I, I, pick and ch I pick things up from everybody. You know, I've, I've learned things from both you guys. You know, I, I have. Uh, I know Rose and I have talked about it in athletic administration and we bounced ideas off each other. I know that, you know, I think, you know, in my opinion, Blas, you were the best video coordinator I've ever been, a part, I've been, ever been around just based on your knowledge of the game you were almost like a, a fourth assistant coach in the video room because you could break down film. You know, you could, you could assess, you know, situations, you knew plays, sets, you know, time situation. Like you were, you were a coach uh, in the film room. So there's things like that that you pick up, pick and choose, and you, you learn from everybody in that sense. So I know, you know, Rose, with you guys being GAs, you know, with, with, with Brett and you know, with, with some of the other folks that were around, et cetera, like you guys are, are learning how to be coaches from other coaches. So, you know, hopefully you guys learn something from me as well, you know, picking up from uh, as a GA, you know, learning something from a strength coach. Because obviously when you guys become coaches, you have to run your own programs. And I know Blige, you and I have talked about, you know, strength training before. Rose, you and I have talked about it. So it's always good to, you know, be a mentor and then have men mentees or, or, or people that you can learn from and, and, and pass that knowledge on to as well. You've always been so giving. You're right. I mean, I've called you up about strength conditioning stuff. I mean, heck, you're the first person to ever tell me about Fiverr, you know, to get logos made and videos made. You know, yeah. you're you're always on the back to this innovative and, and cutting edge piece to you. It's just, the, the continuous improvement with you is just, it's always been an inspiration to me. And then, heck, I've got a book up here. Um, a Navy SEAL book that you gave me uh, years yeah. ago, Leadership Secrets of the Navy SEALs. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really, uh, it's really neat to hear you go back through that. It's a great question from Blas about mentors and I knew it was going to be a, a laundry yeah. list of, of folks. Cause that's just, yeah, that's you, just like who I said, you, you can't, yeah, you can't go through a 20 you know, plus year career without having, you know, influence from a lot of people. And I'm, I'm missing a lot of people as well, but um, like I said, there's, we'll keep this as brief as possible. Otherwise it'll be a, a world record podcast for you guys. You'll get, you'll have no subscribers. <laughs> I'm just looking up this Dan John guy, as you mentioned, this dude's a badass. Yeah. Coach, coach John is a uh, all American uh, discus thrower competed at Olympic lifting Highland games, weight pentathlon. Jesus. Yeah. He's, he's based out of Utah. Um, so, but he's, he's a wealth of knowledge. He, he really is. He's phenomenal. His, if you read any of his books, you know, think about it as he's, he's, uh, his latest book is called 40 Years in the Whistle. 
Um, yeah. So yeah. every every everything is is down to earth. It's easy to read. It's easy to comprehend. That's why the high school coaches, as your listeners, are early early you know college strength coaches um, can pick up ideas because what's old is always new again, and the basics always work in strength and conditioning. I know that, you know, Instagram and bro science and all this sexy training, this, that, and the other is great, but like what works has always worked and it will continue to work the basics. And, and coach John has always taught me one thing is that you have to out basic your opponents, like keep the fundamentals, you know, first and be basic as possible. Um, and strength cures all just get as strong as possible. That helps you run faster, jump higher, move quicker because it's all about force production and you just have to get stronger. So He's great. He's he's great. I'd really recommend a lot of you young folks and, and young coaches out there take a look at Coach John because you'll learn uh, you'll learn so much from him. Matt, the name of the podcast is the greatest game. So we'd love to okay. hear about the greatest game, the greatest games. Wow. You've got a couple as much background information as you can give us, and why they are so special to you. Yeah, I'm I'm going to hit you with a list here because I couldn't Love narrow it. it down to one. Um, <laughs> the first thing I thought about when you mentioned this was, I'm, I'm a nostalgic type guy, and and I really feel like you know, with my dad being a high school football coach, um, I feel like you know, my affinity for like high school or stadium lights, I still get that feeling of like goosebumps, anticipation. Because I remember as a young young child, you know, with my brother in the car, my mom taking us to my dad's high school games. If I could see the lights on the horizon or through the trees or around the street, like I knew we were almost there and the game was almost there. So, like that's my first memory of competition in sport. And every time I see, you know, any type of you know ball filled lights, you know, from the distance, I just sort of get that feeling. So that's always special to me. It doesn't matter what game it is, but that's kind of a, an odd obtuse type, you know, answer to your question, but. Oh, it's so it's so good. I, I, like, hey, I don't I don't want to blow past that because you're right. Yeah. Like it's you know we're obviously right now we're in a quarantine COVID nineteen deal or whatever, and so those lights yeah. haven't been on for several months. And so yeah, I remember that feeling too as a kid. Like just coming over the hill, and this, you can see just kind of the yeah. aura of the Thank lights. You. Like oh my goodness, like it's almost like a another brain chemical that doesn't exist until you see high school football field lights or some sort of lights turn on that yeah, is released in your brain. Yeah, that's a good point. And and. and you know, I've been a, I've been a part of a lot of great special games. You know, whether it be you know high school football, it could have been a high school swim meet, it could have been you know high school baseball game. It's you know, obviously playing you know college football. You know, I was a, a victory formation, you know, snap and kneel type guy. But uh, <laughs> you know, I was <laughs> I was a great towel waver too. You know, in, in some of our bowl games that were great. I, you know, North Carolina had never beaten Virginia in, in so many years. We finally do it at home and you know, the stadium goalposts get torn down and carried to Franklin Street. I mean, it's, you know, beating Florida. Um, I know we're SEC guys, you know, but, you know, at Tennessee, when you beat Florida on national TV um, early in the season, they always played, you know, second week. And it's, you know, Neyland Stadium with 106,000 people. There's just so many, you know, memories that, that come to mind. Um, I think going down the basketball route, since we are on that basketball subject, and it may be more of a gear toward basketball, you know, podcast, uh, the first note I made, I sort of broke it down in, in my stop. So Wake Forest, one that really stuck out was, you know, February 13th, 2003. Uh, we played Duke at home in a double overtime win. And that was just, to me, in my opinion, just a classic ACC basketball matchup. And anytime, you know, me being a North Carolina guy, working at Wake Forest, anytime you can beat Duke, that's even better. Um, and then who obviously, some, who, are some, who are some of the guys in that game? Did you guys have Chris Paul or not? Uh, yeah, it was, it was, um, you know, Chris Paul would have been a freshman. Uh, Justin Gray just was out of his mind shooting threes that game. 
uh, we were young those years. You know, Josh Howard was our, was our leader, though. Um, Josh would have been a senior that year. Um, 2003 would have been the year that, uh, that we won the ACC as well. So you can't discount that. You know, we wrap up the ACC championship at NC State on the road. Josh Howard had to make free throws to win the game. And the game got delayed because, you know, hot dogs and ketchup were getting thrown on the court. And, I mean, so it's, uh, you know, you, you remember your first NCAA tournament. You know, you remember that, you know, with, with Wake Forest. You know, those were always special. Uh, we went down to Tampa and played at the St. Pete Forum, St. Pete Times Forum. Um, that's always a special time. But, you know, with, with you guys, for sure, this is just a – I mean, we, we can go on an hour for this one. But, you know, any of the games at Madison Square Garden were just, in my opinion, anytime you can cut down nets at MSG, and I've had a chance to go back there again. We play there in the Big East a lot with St. John's, with the Big East tournament. But I'll never forget, you know, our two back-to-back -back NIT championships and cutting down the nets at, at MSG. And, you know, like, you know, we've already talked about Carlos Powell, like his MVP performance, you know, Torrance Kinsey making the shot against St. Joe's, you know, Ronaldo Balkman, MVP performance. You know, he was a, a, S, a sports center top ten highlight reel, you know, with the dunks that he had when we played, uh, you know, Louisville and Michigan. So, you know, those were always great. But then, like, you know, once again, you guys understand, like, the route that we took to get to that second championship, you know, this is where, like, maybe a 30 for 30 needs to get made. Yeah. You know, oh, that's <laughs> where we, oh, my uh, God. You know, we, we had to go to Florida State and win. You know, Bryce Sheldon makes a corner three to win the game. Mm -hmm. We immediately fly to Cincinnati to play a really good UC team um, that had Devin Downey on it that eventually came to South Carolina. We had to beat them, you know, back-to-back -back road trips. And then we go to the Garden. So that that was obviously I'm getting chills just talking about right now, the guys. Cincinnati, Actually, the, the Cincinnati was Andy Kennedy had taken over at the beginning of the year for Huggins, and exactly. he was going to be fired once that. I mean, he was fired before we got out of the arena that night. I think so. And hired at Old Miss already. Oh, that yeah, was all. I think so. And they were like, they were saying Andy signs there because he had to win the game to have even have a chance to coach the next year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Someone had a dunk. It might have been Ronaldo. He was so. Uh, he was so on fire that whole tournament. He oh, might, yeah. he had a huge dunk in that game. Played and then the, the Louisville game, the Louisville game, he had one of the legitimate great individual performances in a college basketball game ever. Anytime, I mean, he controlled the game by blocking shots and dunking basketballs. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great even just a one hitter to go back and talk about at some point in your guys' podcast is maybe breaking down that game of some sort and. <laughs> Just the impact, because once again, think about the impact he had for his career. You know, that game, obviously, everybody knows behind the scenes, you know, that if Isaiah Thomas is in the stands or in the MSG and the Knicks, you know, you know, control room, he's watching those games. And you know, Ronaldo gets drafted by the Knicks, you know, in the first round, you know, a couple of weeks later. So um, but the final thought I had about you guys in South Carolina was the uh, was the SEC tournament run that we had. Um, and you guys need to, to, to help me with the year on that. That would have been the 05, 06. That's right. It was the second NIT. It was the second NIT. Yeah. So, so, so we, we were on a skeleton crew of players. We had guys that were, you know, a little bit banged up. You know, we had a small rotation. But uh, we went down to Nashville and, and the Bridgestone Arena and ran through a gauntlet of, uh, you know, it was, it was Tennessee. It was, well, we played four games in four days. So, yep. You guys need to help me. I know, I know it was Mississippi State. It was Tennessee, Tennessee Kentucky. Kentucky, and then Florida. Yep. And, you know, Kentucky had never lost a game in a semifinal in the SEC tournament ever. Yeah. We beat them, you know, to go to play Florida, you know, returning national champions. Uh, we had had Florida's, you know, number in those years as well. We played them really well. And that game was just we a beat them fast. Twice. That, 
Yeah, we beat, beat them twice. Yeah. Bryce and Sheldon beat him at their place with four threes. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, that game came down – I think the final score of the game was maybe 49 to 47, and it was just a – it was an ugly game, but it was it was a special memory to have to, to be a part of a crew that, you know, went to Nashville with, you know, nothing to lose. You know, everything was in our favor, and we just said – we just play, our guys played hard. Coaches did what they had to do, you know, the preparation behind the scenes, you know, with film work, with GA work, with – you know, whatever I was doing, whatever, you know, sports medicine was doing, et cetera. I mean, that was special. It was. That was a good run. So I remember that as well. And that was sort of wraps up a little bit of South Carolina. And then, you know, last couple of memories that I've had would be, you know, at Xavier, um, you know, the Elite Eight game uh, out in San Jose when we beat Arizona to go through the Elite Eight. You know, we ended up playing Gonzaga and got the brakes beat off of us because they played, you know, Carolina in the national championship. But, you know, to make the Elite Eight, you know, I've been to – I made a count. I, I, I try to be humble, and strength coaches really do, but I try to – when we were figuring this out early, you know, I've been to 14 postseasons and, you know, five Sweet 16s, one, you know, Elite Eight, you know, won an ACC championship, two A-10 championships, a Big East championship, that type of thing. So, you know, beating uh, Arizona was a big deal. We'd lost to them um, two years before in L.A. to go to the Elite Eight. We lost to them. So to beat them – uh, with the connection that, you know, Sean Miller had with Xavier, et cetera, was special. You know, our Big East championship we had at Xavier in 2018 was special because you got to cut the nets down again at your home arena. Uh, and the Big East is a tough conference. You know, there's no doubt about it. And everybody knows that as well. Um, and then finally, guys, you know, if I can, you know, spend one more minute, I'd like to be a little selfish and think about, you know, you know, my, my two kids that compete, you know, my daughter um, competes in her own way with our drama department, but we've always supported our kids and all their athletic endeavors. Um, I think, you know, one thing, my son Jacob, who's going to be 16 tomorrow, I remember the last game that I helped coach him in baseball two years ago in 2016 because, you know, he's moved on to travel ball and I don't, you know, assist or coach. I just go and be a parent, be a dad. But uh, that was a special game for me to be a part of a coaching staff that was able to coach and watch him. You know, his final game we played in 2016 to watch him pitch, you know, he had a five outing, uh, five inning outing and had 12 strikeouts and gave up one hit. And, you know, that, that was nice. It was, it was nice to be a part of that. And I remember, I'll remember that for as long as I live. And that was always special. And then, you know, my son, Zachary, actually this past year, he's a senior, you know, played high school basketball. Um, I think I may have sent this video to you guys. Uh, we may have yeah. talked about it. It was the, uh, the district semifinal game. You know, the score's tied, uh, 14 seconds on the clock. Uh, they draw up a play. Um, the guard gets downhill on the defender. Um, jump stops in the lane, kicks it back out to Zachary, and Zachary bangs a three to win the game at the buzzer. Um, so that was special as well. Those are, those are, you know, obviously there's professional highs and there's also personal highs. And um, once again, I can't do what I do professionally if I don't have a balance in a personal life. So I've got to give all the, the, the respect and love to my family. You know, we talked about Jill before, but, you know, my daughter Delaney and my son Zachary, my son Jacob. So just want to give them some special recognition as well. Let's talk about Zachary's game winner. Were you there? I was there, yes. Okay. Were you, do you sit with your wife at the games? Yes. We sit side by side. Okay. When, when it kicked out to him, I always ask this question, Rose. You've heard me ask it. If you could have paused time, mm-hmm. uh, there was that terrible movie with Adam Sandler. I always talk about click, right? Click, right. yeah. If you could have paused time, what was your thought when Zach well, caught the ball? If, if you watch the video, you can actually hear me saying – Zachary get to the basket because I didn't think the guard was going to jump, stop, pivot, and kick it out. I thought the guard was going to go, you know, try to go, you know, two-on-one and just try to get off the glass. So I'm on the video recording, and I'm saying, Zachary, go to the rim, 
to maybe offensive rebound putback. Exactly. And uh, he ends up squaring his feet up. You know, he had he had a you know late closeout, late high hand, and uh, he ended up banging it in. So what, what I thought was kind of cool about that also was um, we had had uh, our Xavier social media account does a really good job, and Mario Mercurio, uh, any young coaches out there, um, Xavier actually has a newsletter. Um, if you want to get in touch with with Rose or Blas or get in touch with me, I'll put you in touch with uh, Mario. Mario Mercurio is our basketball administrator. Um, Trey Scotty is our video coordinator um, and also does some administrative work. But those guys have a newsletter. Xavier's had a newsletter for a number of years. And, and what I'm told from Mario is it's the, the most publicized or most um, subscribed to uh, email list that they have, you know, across the country for high school coaches. So they put out a newsletter that has, you know, coaching tips and plays, et cetera, this, that, and the other. But our it's social really media account. Good. It's yeah. really good. It's So yeah, to get it's back fantastic. on track, yeah, our social media account, uh, Mario's done a great job with that. So we actually have two managers that are assigned to be social media managers, and they have professional cameras. They have professional video cameras. They do still photography. They do video edits with music, and it's part of recruiting. It's part of our game day. Um, so anyway, the point being is I actually had uh, Michael, one of our, our GAs, come over to the game and videotape and, and take pictures of, of that game, and he actually has some really good um, game footage and really like, professional photography of that game-winning shot. So that's that's something that we'll hang on to for a long time as well. And and how many of the how many of the pitchers did you call in the game where Jacob had the twelve strikeouts? Did you were you pick, were you calling the pitchers, Coach? You, you know, you take, take credit for those twelve strikeouts. Let's go. I, to be honest <laughs> with you, I won't take credit for it. Um, <laughs> You know, at, at that at that level, you know, I was third base coach. Um, our our head coach was actually, you know, taking control of the pitch count and and and, and calling pitches, et cetera. But um, it's not hard to call pitches when you just gas it up and <laughs> and throw heat a little bit. Give the old and heater. Got, and you've also got a little bit of a nasty uh, nasty curve or changeup to go with it too. It's not that hard. So yeah, <laughs> he does a good job. I can't take all that credit for sure. And of all those games that you mentioned, you did not talk about January 15th, 2006, Kentucky. Wait, no, that was not the right, that was not the right date. The, the throwback game, Kentucky at South Carolina. I'm pretty sure we were uh, playing in Kentucky. I've got, a, I've got a picture that I can bring out somewhere. <laughs> so, all right, oh, let's talk. Let's talk about this. All right, so, so we, have, we have throwback night at, uh, at Colonial Life. So it's, yeah, it is. It's, it's us against Kentucky. You know, the players are wearing their throwbacks from, you know, probably what, Frank McGuire, 1974 or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah early 70s. Um, they, were, they were some nice, crisp, like, white uniforms. So we decide, you know, it's me, it's Rose, it's 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 BC, Brett Carey. We go to this vintage, you know, clothing shop in Five Points in Columbia, and you can actually kind of rent, you know, clothes, and you know, you buy them, you bring them back, they take your deposit. So I so I end up picking up this. <laughs> oh man, I can't get through this without laughing. I pick up this. They look pair like the pants are super bad. Yeah, they, they're they're Sansa belt. So if you don't know what that means, it's like without a belt. So Sansa belt slacks that were you know vintage and they were plaid and they it looked like something you'd see like Rodney Dangerfield wearing on a golf course, right? So, but you know obviously these pants are probably forty years old and you know the stitching and the threading is a little bare and a little thin and. <laughs> And I've got, you know, some quads, et cetera, and some glutes to match. So, so I was smart also because I did bring a, an extra pair of slacks for, for, the, for the deal. But I remember having uh, the slacks on. I had a white turtleneck and a blue blazer. 
Yep. And I went, I went out for the game and had my goatee. And then during pregame, when I changed, I shaved the goatee and just had a mustache. So I had the mustache. And then I was keeping a shot chart. I've done a shot chart on the side of our bench since, I mean, since you said I've been with you guys, I've done a shot chart, you know, forever. So I always have my clipboard and, and, and shot chart papers, et cetera. But I remember uh, early, this may have been the first, you know, four-minute war, the first time out, uh, I sit down and my pants rip from basically knee to crotch. I had a huge gap, you know, my left thigh. And our cheerleaders are sitting in front of us, and I'm trying to cover it up with the clipboard. I'm trying to watch the game. I'm trying to not move. And so we ended up at halftime, ended up changing slacks and spent on a pair of gray, just traditional, and, and kept it rolling. And, and I don't think I got my deposit back from that store either <laughs> <laughs> because I tore the merchandise. But, yeah, Rose, that's a good one. That's a good one. I've got a picture floating around somewhere of me in the locker room. Uh, you can see it from the neck up. You can't see the pants, though. You can see it from the neck up. That's classic. That's, that's classic. Oh, that's, that's hilarious. Hip, hip wazee, <laughs> if I remember right, was the story. Oh, that's right. Yeah, hip wazee. We went. we went all out. Yeah, you shaved the, 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 you had the mustache. I had the, like, the lamb chops had grown them out. So we were, <laughs> and then I, if I remember right, the game did not go our way. And it was like, oh man, why do we, why do we do this? We wear all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this is not good. We're getting the uh, I want to say we got throttled in that game. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, we could probably look that up, but I, I think you know, we actually we actually did play Kentucky pretty well at, at home during the the tenure there. That may have been the one time that I can't recall who the name of the kid was. It was a three point special. Joe Crawford. Joe Crawford. Yeah. He, he he hit. He took a. They ran like a an America's play for him, and the screen was set three feet from the top of the three point line, and he curled off of it about nine feet outside of the three point line, and just rose up and buried it. And I was he's like, got, oh, geez, that is range. <laughs> he's got he's got Damon Lillard type range, then, right? So, geez. And we had some, we had some good games at, at home, though. We did. You know, as, as, you know, our record, you know, may have shown, may have not shown. I think I'm looking at it right here. We were 7-9 and nine in the conference, 6-10 and 10 in the conference, 4-12 and 12 in the conference. But, you know, our guys always played hard. They did. They were well prepared. You know, I think they played hard. I think they, uh, they always love to compete. You know, it, it was – it was a good, good, good showing for sure. You made a good point about that team that won the second NIT. You said we had a short uh, skeleton crew. We really did. We had the starting five and pretty much Bryce. Yeah, we had a, a six-man rotation. Yeah, it was Trey, Rocky, Torrance, Brandon, Ronaldo, and Bryce. And that yeah. was it. Because Kevin Palacios, <laughs> Palacios went down. And Hisby, we, he was... Hisby went, was off and on. <laughs> you know, let's, we all know. <laughs> wink, wink. Um, so yeah, it was we had was six it. Man, six that man rotation. It. So you got six guys playing, you know, thirty five plus minutes. I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, we had, we had some warriors on that team. We had some guys that that that, that love to fight, love to win. I mean, the Trey Kelly story. If you guys get Trey Kelly on board, like I, it's, mm-hmm. I I, st- I still tell I still I still tell our guys that I you know talk about influence and men, you know, et cetera. I still I don't miss an opportunity to tell people about Trey Kelly. Um, you know, I've been around a lot of good point guards. You know, I've been around, you know, obviously Chris Paul, et cetera, at Wake Forest. But, you know, two Holloways, another, you know, Hempstead, New York guy, Blas, you know, two Holloways, yeah. played at Xavier. You know, I've been around some really great point guards, some really tough guys. You know, Chris Paul, obviously, is very special. Two Holloways is, is, is probably the toughest player. Um, but there was just something special about Trey Kelly and, and the, his story and his background. And, yeah, I know he's doing some great things now too, but yeah, that'd be a great conversation to have too. Is talk about Trey because he was, he was tough. And I know I know we're not supposed to talk about 
you know, some things, you know, with medical and HIPAA laws, et cetera. But, you know, there's a lot, there's a, a year that he played on a, a bad knee that ended up having, you know, surgery after the season that he didn't have surgery when he should have. And he ended up yeah. finishing the year. <laughs> and in all honesty, you know, the four and 12 year, you know, he probably was just as good in the, in the SEC for player of the year, except we just didn't have a winning record. And who's the young man from Vanderbilt that won it that Keith year? Byers. Keith Byers. Yeah. So not Trey. Keith Byers. Keith, uh, not Byers. Keith Byers was the old running back. Um, it was Byers. Yeah, it was his name. Trey led the SEC in scoring in SEC games that year yeah. on, on one like leg. And our, our, our 4-12 and 12 record just wasn't enough to win a you know, SEC player of the year, but the, the young man at Vanderbilt did. But, you know, Trey, Trey was phenomenal. Derek, Derek Byers. Number Derek four. Byers. Derek Byers, that was his name. Yeah. Trey was phenomenal. He did some uh, special things. That he won that game. He won two games single-handedly at Southern Cal and at Baylor. That's the right, game he know. won at Baylor was – at one of the best performances by an individual. He had a baseline jump. He had a turnaround baseline jumper, like, with, like, three minutes to go. It was just the most unbelievable shot I've ever seen. That's right. I remember we opened up the Galen Center. That was the first game ever played there. And we yeah, we went to overtime. overtime. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good times. That's good times. <laughs> that is. Rose, you got anything to add? You're really, uh, you're really a big part of this. Really. Yeah, you know that 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 year <laughs> I just lived vicariously through y'all, y'all, because that was my my first year at Ridgeview coaching, and y'all would y'all would call me, hey, we're out in L.A., we got this going on, or hey, we're, you know, um, so I really, uh, it was fun, and I hated that I missed out on all the good times with you guys. That L.A. trip, that was, whew. Well, we had some fun that one night. Well, we talked about Bretton Port. Well, which which standard which standard hotel were we talking about? The one downtown, or the one on no in on, Irvine uh, when we went to that club in Irvine. Uh, we went to uh, Sutra. Uh, yeah. DJ, DJ AM was playing. DJ AM. That was that actually was you know quiet as kept as another old saying is like that was a phenomenal like once again I'm going out to you know to the triangle version of of Irvine at, at this club Sutra that. You know, Port paid like the you know forty dollar entrance fee for whatever thirty dollars um, a head. He paid for all yeah. four of us. And I remember there was you know some 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 LA Angels players in there. There was there were some pro guys, etc. I was there just to enjoy the music. I mean that's sad to say if you're in LA, but you know, the, the the DJ AM. I mean it was phenomenal. That was phenomenal. It was. I know we I know you know that we lost at Irvine also, and then oh, we won brutal. at Cal. Terrible loss. But, uh, I remember we had a good time at the Standard Hotel downtown on that big rooftop, and then yeah, we actually went out to the Standard on. Um, I love LA. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. Uh, Sorry, Rose, you weren't a part of that. Sorry, uh, <laughs> it's all right. I'm glad y'all had a great time, and said I could I could live vicariously through y'all. I had some great voicemails from y'all that year. I was going to say probably some text messages and voicemails. Let's talk. Let's if we're talking text messages, let's talk about. I've got to give Coach Rosefield, you know, just the. The, the biggest props imaginable. So all you coaches out there, young folks, et cetera, cannot imagine what texting was like, you know, in 2004, 2005, because it was like dialing on a phone. Like you had to actually push buttons multiple times to get letters. And Rose was the master at texting without even looking at his phone. He could hold his phone under the table in a meal, you know, et cetera, and tech by just the, the greatest text message without even looking at his phone. I don't know how you did it. Like, I really don't. It's, a, of, it's still amazing to me. A lot of practice. <laughs> lot of practice. How you could text. I mean, texting, we take it for granted. It's so easy today, right? <laughs> and how you could text with basically, you know, a nine-digit keypad. I mean, it's, it's unreal. <laughs> it's unreal. <laughs> it's, well, it's phenomenal. 
was, you are uh, you are right, Matt. We have we have diverted off the path of. Okay. <laughs> no, it's well, fine. I love you it. Guys, you guys ready to go edit back a little bit? <laughs> yeah, let's let's turn the ship around and steer this thing. Let's land this plane. Then, what uh, what else can we talk about? Well, we like to sort of end with this one question. It may be a little different for you, but I, I know you you have you have sayings and words of wisdom you impart. If we could uh, talk to a player that that you that you coached at Wake Forest or South Carolina and, and a guy you coached at Xavier this year, what would be the one thing when they're doing – I always say this, when they're doing their Coach Jennings impersonation, which I'm sure they have one, what would be the one thing they say you say all the time? Coach Jennings always says, like, wait, get after it, or, you know, or maybe some word of wisdom, or what's the saying you're known for, the phrase? I see I, you mulling it over. I think probably the, the, the biggest thing might be, I mean, I think I always have levity in any situation. I'm always, I'm always trying to find, you know, the humor or the joke or, you know, some sort of sarcastic little, you know, jab, et cetera. So there may be something along those lines, but I think, and I, I my wife picks up on this a lot. I don't pick up on it, but for some reason, I usually ask a question and answer the question with like a yeah at the same time. Does that make or or this yeah. is it? I say I say this. I say, does that make sense a lot? So I may I may demonstrate, explain, and then I always follow up with, does that make sense? Or I may this is another what going back to the first example would be, you know, I may demonstrate, explain, and then just follow up with a yeah. So I'm sort of asking a question and answering a question at the same time. So it's sort of subtle, and I don't know where I picked that up from, but that may be along with maybe cracking a joke. Like, I, I, here's the thing: I love music. Um, I still, you know, I think you know part of keeping you young is that some of the music our guys listen to, which I don't mind it. We crank it up in the weight room. I actually bring in a DJ for our pre games, and he cranks it up and gets our guys, you know, motivated. So, but uh, I have this sort of sick sense of humor where I can sort of change song lyrics. Um, and you know, make it inappropriate or make it appropriate, or I can mix it up and you know, change it to like some little weightlifting scenario. Or so I, I think that's a hidden talent that maybe those guys would, would pick up on is is uh, my ability to change song lyrics, you know, at the drop of a hat. And uh, I've got a pretty good memory about things, but uh, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully, guys have good memories. I think uh, I think you know, our weight room is always a, a place to foster you know competition that we love so much. It's a place to you know, actually, you know, physically prepare, mentally prepare for competition. That's what, like I said before, what I enjoy the process is that, you know, it's, it's the journey. It's not the end destination. We, we've talked about the games. We talked about cutting down nets. We talked about championships, but, and those are great, but there's so many more great memories made behind the scenes, you know, with the day-to-day -day preparation, you know, cutting film, watching games, you know, constructing a practice, doing a weight room session, you know, anything we're doing to help our players. I've always enjoyed that process. So that's always special to me. Matt, you are super entertaining as a podcast guest, but I tell you what, it's just so, it's so neat to be able to connect with you this way. And, uh, you, you brought a lot of value to our listeners and I'd love for you to pub anything. I know you talked about Xavier, uh, MBB on Twitter, but any kind of social media you'd love to give our listeners any way they can connect with you. Love to hear about it. Yeah. Um, I'm more active on Instagram than anything else. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's underscore Matt Jennings, M-A-T-T-J-E-N-N-I-N-G-S. And we do have a Xavier Strength account as well, if you want to take a look at that. And it's simply Xavier Strength, all one word, X-A-V-I-E-R-S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H. 
we've been using that that Xavier Strength account during the COVID uh, crisis to put out a lot of content for our student athletes. But um, I go, I, I kind of hit or miss on my personal account. Um, I use it as a reference and a resource, you know, to see what other folks are doing and keep in touch and another means of keeping in touch. But I go through some phases where I post a lot. I go through phases where I don't. I do through phases where I you know, post about family and not work. And sometimes I do work and not family. So it's, it's a little hit or miss. But Instagram's – I'm on Twitter as well, but uh, Instagram's the easiest way. If you want to send me a message on Instagram, underscore Matt Jennings. And sometimes I may get a little mad dog and get off the leash, and you never know what may happen after that. So <laughs> there it is, man. There it is. I must say you're you're a fun follow on social media and your your personality and your your goofiness and your sense of humor comes through loud and clear. So I love it. <laughs> gotta stay young, Rose. Gotta stay young. That's right. That's right. No, it's uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. I, I I'd love to kick it and tell some more stories about you know what goes on behind the scenes on you know preparation and road trips, etc. We've we've had we've had some good times together. It just strengthens that bond for sure. You guys have been been lifelong friends for sure. I've known you for a long time and I can't wait to, to shake your hand again sometime soon and see you in person for sure. I'd love to do that soon. Well, that just, that just means we just need to have you back on. That's, that's all that means. And you're right. I mean, the, the journey that we've had as, as friends and coworkers and, and, um, the thread has been common amongst a lot, a lot of these shows that we've had with coaches that have started out as managers or started out of, of all walks of life. And it's all about answering the bell, cutting your teeth and, 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 uh, continue those relationships, continuous improvement, all the things that you've talked about today. So For sure. it's, been, it's been awesome. But let's go ahead and we'll put a button on this one and we'll have you yeah. back here sometime soon. But for my co-host, Chris de Blasio, I am Brian Rosefield. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games. <laughs>